time to introduce our, our fun, exciting leader with a good story, Christy. Hi, I'm Christy. Hi, Hi Christy. Christy. And thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I also want to thank the ladies that are up here with me. Uh, they're very special and dear to me, and I'm so happy that they were able to come. Um, it's nice to have people I know here with me because it's always, um, you know, it's challenging to get up here and stand here and tell people my story. <laughs> so I'm truly grateful and blessed. And um, I did, I love that reading today. That was really good. And it reminds me of what I'm here to do. I'm just here to be of service. I'm just here to, you know, tell you whatever comes to mind. And I have no idea what that's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that I um, have lived my whole life surrounded by alcoholism and um, it was, you know, there's not a member of my family that identifies as an alcoholic of my immediate family that I was born into, but there was definitely alcoholism my whole life and, um, you know, it was confusing and um, uh, I, uh, I'm one of six children. We, uh, not, not one of us had the same two parents, but we never knew that until I was much older and my two parents divorced and um, we were all messed up. We were all messed up because nobody knew what was going on and um, nobody knew how to handle it and no, we, nobody, we never received any tools on how to live. Um, you know, I, I constantly had suicidal thoughts into my teen years and, um, and it was just because things were so crazy and chaotic and um, and there was no solution um, until I came here, you know, and people taught me, they tell me exactly what to do. They're like, you know, go to your meeting, have your money ready for the basket, and just sit and listen. And that's, you know, that's how I started. I had to start really basic. I had to just show up, have my money ready for my basket. That was my first sponsor. <laughs> when she said it, I was like, wow all right, I'll have my money ready. Like, it never occurred to me <laughs> to bring the money with me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I can also say that in that family, I loved it. I had so much fun. Like, my parents partied. They threw parties, and I loved it. I, and every member of my family had a different experience. Every child had a different, their own experience. My sister hated it. But I love the parties. They would, my parents would throw parties. They'd sit us all down and they'd say, children are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> and I'd sit there and I'd be shaking my head yes. And the whole time I'm like, I'll be there. <laughs> 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 we had some fun. And so, so they put you in like the den, it was called at the time. You were supposed to stay in the den and watch TV. And all the other kids would obey. And I would put on my party dress. And uh, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to look good. And then they, I'd let a few guests arrive, and then I'd start greeting the guests, you know, and I'd arrive at the door, and I'd open the door and let them in and bring them in, and I would enjoy the party. I'd join the party, and, um, and I had a ton of fun, and the people loved me, and it was uh, really, like, my place. <laughs> it was really my place, and, um, and that continued through the rest of my life. I love being around alcoholics, drinking, and having fun, and... Um, Fortunately for me, that was my experience in my family. I loved them. I experienced them in a different way than some of the other members of my family. We, um, we've lost three, all three of my brothers to the disease um, because it was rampant through our house. and um, They went youngest to oldest, and it was all related to drugs and alcohol. And um, The youngest one um, was very dramatic. Um, he had been up for four days, we had heard, on crystal meth and um, and called and asked for help. And um, we had um, been beaten down by the other two that were older. They were much older, and we had tried everything we could possibly think of to help them, and nothing ever helped them. And so when this younger one came along, we didn't know, you know, we thought tough love was the way to go. We were just going to tough it out. and. So when he called for help that day, um, I wouldn't go. I said, no, I have no, nothing to say. There's nothing I want to do. I can't help him. And uh, my dad went and talked to him, and he was crouched down in the front of his truck and begging for help. And I don't know what happened between them, but um, 
my dad came back to work because I worked with my dad at the time, and then my brother went to my dad's house, stole a 45 handle gun that my dad had had my whole life, and um, uh, took a motorcycle, and then got himself into a police chase and shot himself. And uh, and and then, uh, you know, I had to step up and be the member of the family that went and identified the body. And I had to, um, you know, try to pull myself together and be there for my parents. And uh, it wasn't my mom, it was a stepmom. And that was her only child. And she's been messed up ever since. You know, he left a couple of notes and one of them was to my dad and it said, you're an asshole. And that's the only dad he ever had. And um, he didn't leave her a note and she's been devastated by that ever since. And, um, you know, my husband delivered the eulogy, you know, and that was really our first experience with that kind of thing. And um, then uh, then the next brother died um, on someone's couch and uh, he had been in and out of jail, in and out of homelessness lived on the streets and he had gotten some place to live and um, you know my dad always especially after the first child died um, really took him in and tried to care for him but like you would care for a um, child a young child you know there was no proper way to do this and and that didn't work nothing worked like we had no solution we didn't know about AA we didn't know about alcoholism we had no solutions and um, so when he passed, uh, he had been staying probably with a house full of drug addicts, I don't know, and um, my dad had to go there and pick up the body, and um, they were asking him for the rent money. Like, for whatever reason, that just really gets me every time. But um, so then we had another funeral, and um, and I had to deliver the eulogy because my experience with alcoholism and uh by the end, or when you've gotten that far down, there's nobody, you know, there's no friends, it's all family, and so, you know, that was, um, that was the, the second one, and he was probably the one I was closest to growing up, we, um, you know, we shared a lot of time together, and um, he was always uh, in my house, like, you know, people came and went, children came and went in my house, but he and I were and my one sister were always in the house and um so it was uh, it was painful but it was also a relief you know and that's really hard to say but um to watch somebody suffer for so long is so hard and to know and hope that they're in a better place is just kind of like a relief that you don't have to worry that they're out there anymore one of the things i had done though was i um i had had children and i knew that he was an intravenous drug user and I knew that that created great risk for your health and the health of others and I would not let him be around my children and um, and I you know have regret about that and I am you know sorry about that and I'm sorry that I couldn't um, be compassionate I never had compassion for anybody on drugs or alcohol because I just saw what it did to my family. I saw how uh, we all suffered as a result of it. And that, you know, I have shame over that and I have regret for that, but it's just what it was and I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better until I came here and I learned, you know, that people can't necessarily control what they're doing. And I learned that by understanding that in myself, you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I couldn't get it. Like, I was always like, I just don't get it. Why can't you just go to work and do what everybody else does? But, you know, there's, I can do that. I can go to work and I can do what other people do, but I can't stop myself from doing things sometimes. There was one time I was going to a meeting and I was having the best morning. And I was like, it's so beautiful, and the trees, and the birds, and the butterflies, and it was just this glorious morning. And I drive into my meeting, and at the time I had nothing else going on in my life, just meeting. <laughs> so I drive, drive to my meeting, and the freeway is blocked off that I have to get onto. And of course I'm running a wee bit late, because that's my trend, and um, the freeway's blocked off, and now I'm not gonna make it on time. And I was like, uh-oh. And in one quick instant, I was a raging crazy woman, <laughs> like driving out of control. I flip a U-turn, because <laughs> I wasn't going to be put out of my way and I wasn't going to be late, like an illegal U-turn, <laughs> and hop on the freeway and drive down. And um, 
And like, I just realized in that instant, I had no control over my thoughts, none whatsoever. And, and then I kind of got it. Like, I was like, oh, well, if I can't, I couldn't control that. And I didn't even see it coming. Then maybe other people can't control what they're doing as well. You know, maybe my husband, who at the time couldn't draw sober breath, you know, maybe he can't control it. Like, until that point, I really thought you could. I really thought they should, you know, <laughs> and I really thought it would happen. Um, but you know, that's the grace of this program, is it teaches me, just one day at a time, to be a little bit more compassionate, to be a little bit more understanding of others, and um, and it's it's a beautiful gift um, because I don't have to be that person that's always looking down on somebody and be like, if you just do it right, everything will be okay. <laughs> and that's who I was for many, many years in my marriage. And um, I couldn't understand why my husband just wouldn't do it for our family. But he was confusing to me because um, he decided to go to law school while we were married and he stopped drinking for the time he was in law school. And he was studying to take the bar, and he did not drink until he passed that bar. And it was on the day that he was passed the bar, they found out he passed the bar, that he said, we're going to celebrate with a glass of champagne. And I knew that that was a very bad idea, and I knew that was not going to be good for us. And he said, are you going to celebrate with me? And I said, oh, I'm not going to be drinking that. And I don't know what I was saying, but I was saying a lot of stuff. And um, whatever I was saying, it prompted him to get a shotgun out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so we celebrated with champagne <laughs> we did celebrate with champagne he uh i had a baby here and i had another baby clinging to my leg and he had a shotgun loaded he loaded it and he pointed at my head and he said, are you going to drink this champagne with me? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> Let's drink that champagne. And um, that was after he actually had six years sober. He had six years sober until then. But he wasn't doing a program at that point in time. He probably did a program for two years. Then he was four years. And then he started drinking. And, uh, you know, during the sober period, we had the babies, and life looked really good. And it was going to be everything I always wanted it to be, because now I was married to a lawyer. Mm -hmm. We were going to be rich. <laughs> 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 and uh, as you all know, it didn't go that way. But um, but I spent like it did. And um, I, I, you know, my part. I'm here to talk, tell you about my part, what I did. This is, you know... Unfortunately, he's not comfortable with me sharing his story, but it's a part of my story. So I have to share his part or parts of his part so that you can understand what was going on. And, um, you know, my part was that I, um, I spent, like, I wanted to bring it. I didn't bring it because I've always crazy I imagined myself speaking one day and showing off all my credit cards I have like 45 credit cards I say I've saved them I don't know why I saved them but he would drink and I would spend and he would drink and I would spend and at the time I was spending on those credit cards it was justified it was justified every penny I was spending and I deserved it and um, but by the time the bill came and he saw it, I couldn't remember what the justification was. <laughs> so there was always this conflict for us. And, um, and so then I felt like crap, you know, because now I was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, I was digging us deeper in debt. And um, I charged up like $150,000 of debt. And I always imagined that he was going to have enough money to pay it off. <laughs> and I stole the... Uh, food money. I was in charge of the bills and the food. And I would have to steal the food money to pay the credit card bills. So then I'd have to buy cheap food or not enough food. I mean, it was just this crazy cycle of craziness. And um, I bought a car on a credit card. Like, they would send those checks. <laughs> and an Escalade, or not Escalade, an Expedition pulled up in my drive one day with my little credit card check. And um, that's the only good thing I ever got out of it. <laughs> Everything else was just 
wasted money. Um, lots of food, lots of makeup, clothes. I'd take my kids to Target and be like, whatever you want. And it was fun. Um, <laughs> but, but the ramifications of that were one day we couldn't pay the bills, of course. And, um, and to, up to that point, my husband actually was supportive of me. He would always try to pay those bills. Like he took on the responsibility. He was the only worker. And he tried. And then one day he finally just said, I can't pay these bills. And you're going to have to figure it out. And he actually just took his hands off of it. And I was like, what do you mean? You have to pay these bills. And, um, and then I had creditors calling me every day, telling me what a loser I was. And can't you just pay me $25? And I was like, I can't. I got nothing. I'm like, who in the world doesn't have $25? What kind of loser are you? And they would threaten me. And they would nonstop call. And it was horrible. But it is what led me to you because... I I was never humble, ever, and that humbled me, having to deal with that every day. And then they were filing lawsuits on me, and, um, you know, it was just this big snowball thing that happened because I didn't know how to deal with my life. And then, uh, and he wouldn't touch it. He never touched it. He, he just let me try to handle it all, and, and then eventually, you know, he did step in and help out with the lawsuits. <laughs> but it was like a two-year period of having to go through this pain and this humiliation and this humbling experience to realize that I, you know, was responsible for creating this trouble for my family. I had kids, you know, I need to take care of those kids, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a good way to do it. So, um, so you know, eventually I had to um, seek the help of a private counselor because I certainly wasn't going to come here and share myself with anybody. You know, I don't want no group therapy. I don't want to be involved with anybody else. But um, she sent me to Al-Anon. She said, you need to go to Al-Anon. You need to um, share at the meetings, and you need to stay afterwards and talk to people. And that's what she would tell me, and I saw her every day or every week for like six months, and that's the three things she would tell me. And uh, so finally one day I went to Al-Anon and I shared the meeting and I stayed afterwards, but I didn't talk to people, you know, it was just brief out. And, um, but as I went to Al-Anon and I listened and I, you know, did what she said, things started to come together, you know, a little bit for me. And, um, and at the time, at that point in time, my husband was really bad off. He would get dressed for work and he would leave for work and every day, I believed he was going to work every day. <laughs> this has gone on for a long period of time, one or two years. And every day he'd come home in a vein suit, <laughs> drunk. <laughs> every day. <laughs> but every day when he left in that suit, I thought he was going to work. Like, that's my insanity. Every day was going to be the day it came together. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same thing. <laughs> That's my insanity. I truly believed that it was, you know, what was in front of me. And um, anyhow, so I got to Al-Anon and uh, I would go to this meeting. It was a tiny meeting. There was like three people. And I went there the first day and this woman, after the meeting, um, she came up to me and she hugged me and she said, I am so glad you're here. Here's my number, and she gave me her phone number, and um, and whatever you know, that just really affected me. I was really affected by that. I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. Like, and I carried that number with me for like a year and a half, just because it just meant so much to me. Just that little gesture, because my life had gone down so far, so far from what I thought it was going to be, and um, and it's it's changed everything about me and it's changed everything at that point in time when i had gone to those meetings i couldn't get out of bed i had two years i was just in bed watching tv every day and i like to say oprah was my best friend but she didn't know me <laughs> and i would watch oprah and um and i would hate it if she had a celebrity on there because she would tell you how to have your best life <laughs> and i was trying to get it through Oprah and Oprah didn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't connect with it. Um, what I needed to do was come here and have people tell me how to basically live. Show up for your meetings, bring your $2, 
And then I would go to this meeting with this woman who became my first sponsor, the woman who said hello to me. You know, I asked her to be my sponsor because um, I knew, you know, I listened to the meetings, they said get a sponsor. So I got her as my sponsor. And we would go to this Thursday night meeting, which is now my home group. And, um, and she would go, you need to dress up just a little bit for this meeting because we dressed up a little bit. But that's because I looked like crap. <laughs> it wasn't because you dressed up at this meeting, but it took me maybe three or four years before I realized one day, I'm like, they don't really dress up. People do wear jeans. <laughs> but I think it was just because I looked so terrible. Because I, you know, when I get into, and it can even kind of go there sometimes today, if I go into a place where I feel unwanted or unloved, I don't want to take care of myself. And um, and it happens even like this week, you know, I just was feeling sad about something. My marriage is still struggle, and I don't know where it's going, and I don't know, you know, what's going to come of it. But... Um, it gets me down when my husband's rejecting me all the time. It gets me really down. And um, and then I don't want to take a shower. And I don't want to feed myself. And I don't want to go to my meetings. And I don't want to do all the things that I've learned will make me feel better about myself, will make my life better. So I just do it anyhow these days. That's what you guys have taught me. Just do it anyhow. Just show up. You know, do the next indicated thing. And... Um, it has been uh, so life-changing and so transforming for me that um, I got to meet Bill Clinton. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> like, I just don't know how I got from bed with Oprah to Bill Clinton. and <laughs> It's just unbelievable for me. Um, and it was out of the blue, and it was just this amazing experience. And, you know, that's what Al-Anon has done for me. It's brought me back to life. You know, I was dead, and I wanted to die, and I'm back to life, and I'm living a good life. And, um, you know, I'm here at this convention, and I have a hotel room, and I have food. And today is my son's birthday. He's turning 11 today. And I'm going to go home from here, and I'm going to go love him, and I'm going to just be with him. And I don't have to have a great, perfect gift. And I don't have to have, you know, I am the gift. My presence to him is the gift. And... Um, uh, <clears throat> I have uh, three children, and for whatever reason, God's grace has saved them. You know, my daughter is going to college. You know, she went away to college about a month ago. And my other son uh, seems to be doing well. You know, I don't know why my children have been saved so far, you know, but I know that uh, God is a huge power in our life and that he's always looked after us. Um, I uh, <clears throat> kind of lost. <laughs> I'm sure that I have something else to tell you, but I'm kind of lost at the moment. Um, anyhow, you just can't get from where I came from to where I am today. Like, there is no good reason for it. Oh, this is a story I wanted to share. I um. Okay, there's a couple of stories I'll share with you. I came to Al-Anon, and my husband, as I said, couldn't draw a sober breath. And um, and I just did what you guys said to do. And I struggled. You know, I knew I, I thought I needed to get out of that marriage. I thought I needed to divorce that man. And I still have those thoughts today. But um, at the time, I was, you know, the sponsor I had said, you need to wait one year before you're making any major decisions. And so I went. I abided by that, and I waited a year. And I don't know exactly what a year was, but I think it might have been about a year to the day that I um, took a walk with the dog, and my husband again was passed out. And I decided that I had to leave him because I couldn't get any better if I stayed with him. You know, it was no longer about what he was doing and how bad of a person he was. It was about me. I needed to get better because I had these three kids to take care of. And... Um, and so it felt right, like, because people would say, when you know, you'll know. And I knew that it was right, and I knew that that was a thing I needed to do. So I came home from that dog walk, and I knew I had to tell him right then because I might change my mind. And uh, I started making noise so that he'd wake up, and um, <laughs> so I could tell him right away. <laughs> First time he opened his eyes for the day. But... <laughs> 
which is what I needed to do. And um, and he lifted his head off the bed that day as I'm making the noise. And um, and he says, I can't live like this any longer. I need help. And I I turned around and I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, no, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm not, I'm done. You know, I didn't get to say my word. I was like, that's not what the plan was. And um, so, so then I just said, I can't help you. I can't help you. And I walked out because I was doing my good Al-Anon. I had only been Al-Anon for about a year. That was what I thought Al-Anon was. And I walked out. I can't do it anymore. I, I, I can't help you. And I had my Tuesday morning, my little tiny Tuesday morning meeting, which really was a God blessing for me. Um, and then I, as you, when we leave our house, we always leave through the garage. So I'm walking down the hallway towards the door, and I got all guilt. And I'm like, oh, shoot. So I go back, and I say, well, I can't help you, but here's a list. Because the meeting that I would go to on Tuesday was an AA meeting hall. And I had picked up a list one day. I said, here's a list of people that can. You can call any one of them. They can help you. And then I walk back out. I'm going down the hall, and I got the guilt again. And I'm like, ah. So I'll call my sponsor. So I call my sponsor, and I tell her what happened. And she's like, oh, my gosh, it's a miracle. And um, <laughs> she's all excited. And so she says, have him call my husband. And so I say, okay. So I go back up. And um give him the number of her husband and her husband picks him up and takes him to a meeting that day and um and I go to my meeting and then I know I can't go home because I don't know what's going to go on now and um so I stay because there's an AA meeting right afterwards so I stick around there and I go out of the room for a while and then I come back as the AA meeting's already started and I sneak in and I just sit down on a chair and um and I listened to the meeting, and the whole time I'm like, yep, he needs to hear that. Yep, he needs to hear that. Oh, I wish he was hearing that. And I go home, and um, and at our house, the guy, they were both there, the husband of my sponsor and my husband, and he's making them dump out all the liquor in the house. And while he's dumping it out, he's telling them, oh, this is hers. Like, he's telling them it's all mine. <laughs> it's hysterical. It's funny. But... Um, <laughs> What I found out months later was he was at that same meeting I was at. I just never saw him. They were he, they were sitting on the same wall I sat on. So I did sit in this first meeting with him, and he did hear all those things I thought he should hear. And he was very excited at that point in time, and he felt really, really proud of himself. And um, and I was still angry. And and. And I acted angry, and I didn't believe it to be true, and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the fact that he had chosen to be sober and that he was going to give it a go. And, um, and I acted poorly, and uh, I know that damaged him, you know, and that damaged our relationship, my actions, because I couldn't believe it was true, because I couldn't believe or even just enjoy it. Maybe it wasn't going to last forever, but I should have enjoyed that moment when he was happy and wanting to please me. It still wasn't good enough. You know, it still wasn't good enough. And so, um, so anyhow, that was my very first experience of a miracle in Al-Anon. And since that time, there has been so many more miracles. Like, my kids needed beds, and we had no money. And, um, and I envisioned the beds I wanted for them to have. I wanted them to have these little beds with, like, a headboard with a bookcase. And I knew exactly what I wanted, and I probably looked it up in the Pottery Barn book or something and couldn't get those. And I'm driving one day, and there were these two beds with bookcase headboards in somebody's driveway. And in my neighborhood, they put stuff out with a free sign so that people would just take it away. And um, I was like, oh, my gosh. And I had enough Al-Anon to know that I could pick up those beds. And I picked up those beds, and I brought them home. And I got beds for my kids, you know, and just one thing after another like that has happened for me. I, you know, a job, jobs are something that torment me just like a marriage. And, um, <laughs> and I, I one day decided that I needed to get a job. And, um, and I sat down all by myself in a room and I wrote down what I wanted in a job because I was watching Oprah. And she would tell you how to figure things out. And, um, <laughs> and so she, 
I was doing some Oprah exercise and I wrote down what I wanted in a job. And I wrote down very specific details. I wanted specific hours and I wanted a chance for opportunity for growth and I wanted, you know, very specific things. And um and then my my daughter had a birthday and um I took her and her friends on a uh a scavenger hunt. And we're out scavenger hunting. And we bump into a neighbor, and I talk to the neighbor, and somehow it comes up, and she gives me that job. She gave me the job that I wrote down in my home, all by myself, as Oprah instructed. <laughs> and I go, you know, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm entertaining my daughter on her birthday and her friends, and I get that job, you know, and it was just one miracle after another since I've been here. And it's unbelievable to me, um, and I am so blessed. And I know it today. You know, I never knew how blessed I was. I never knew all the gifts I had. You know, there was a point in time when we did have money and we did have fun and we did have all kinds of good things, but I never appreciated them. They had to all go away before I could actually appreciate anything. And I am so glad that I get to appreciate things today. Um, you know, sobriety is not the answer to my problem. And sobriety is not the answer to my family's problem. It's just one piece of a puzzle that might lead us to something better. And um, in sobriety, my husband screwed up again. <laughs> no, no. Um, he just got on a path that was not of my liking and um, not, in my opinion, healthy for our family. And um, decided he would become a photographer and um, and his medium was nudes <laughs> so, <laughs> so I you know I suffered with that because it was very uh, disturbing to me and very painful to me yet I couldn't leave that marriage you know for whatever reason I stayed in that marriage and um, and he dedicated all of his time to taking naked photos of women that he met on the internet. And um, I can't tell you why I stayed. I can't tell you. I just know that I never, ever again have had that clarity that I had that one day, that that was the day that I was to leave and for the right reasons. I've not had that clarity again. And, um, you know, we went on a family vacation and still his obsession with this new thing was so great he had to make arrangements to take photos of somebody while we were on that family vacation and what um, you know my new sponsor is here and I love her so much and um, she's always available for me when I need her and um, on that vacation I was suffering it was his family like his family reunion vacation and I got my kids there and he's going off to do this and he's just acting poorly and um, and I got to just keep fighting. Like, I had to fight to stay in myself and have a good time. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let that ruin my vacation. It's my vacation, too. So I just, every day, just did what was in front of me to do, and I didn't allow it to affect me. Like, I just, I detached. I had to learn detachment on that vacation. And, um, and it took a lot of phone calls to my sponsor, and it took a lot of me just walking through things that didn't feel comfortable. And um, I grew so much from that experience. Like, I am so grateful that I had that experience. It was painful at the time, and I was embarrassed, and, but it wasn't me. It's not my shame. I wasn't doing that action. I was doing what I needed to do for myself and my family. But I can't explain it, but I am, I, I am no longer affected by other people's actions because I walked through that pain. So, you know, maybe that's why I stayed in the marriage. Maybe that's why I was there. Because now I'm a stronger person, and I know that you can do whatever you have to do, anybody. And I can still be me. And I can still enjoy my time. And I can still do what I want to do. You know, I really had to examine what do I want to do. And I went to meetings while I was there, you know, because that was something I needed to do. Because otherwise I was going to go nuts. I'm with his family. He's taking pictures of naked women. <laughs> My daughter's got a friend and I'm mortified, you know. And I was just like, I went to meetings. And what I found there is they were just like us. 
I was home, like I felt comfortable. The people were the same. The only thing is they don't clap in New Jersey. And um, <laughs> so I shared that and I'm like, oh, it's all just the same and I'm so grateful to be here, but you don't clap. And so when I was done, they clap. <laughs> Which it was like so lovely, like it was such a little kind gesture and that's what we find here, you know, people that are willing to just give you a little bit of love. and. Um, for whatever reason, in alcoholism, it just fades away sometimes. And um, now uh, I tell you that story to get to um, to get to the story that I really want to tell you is because of my husband's actions, it caused the police to come to my house December 21st, 2010. And um, I'm at work, and I'm working, and I get a call from my daughter, and she says the police are here with a search warrant. They say they have a search warrant. What should I do? And I can't get a hold of Dad. And I was like, what? Like, imagine getting that call. You're just sitting doing your job. And all of a sudden, the police, we had not had this experience before. So um, so I was like, well, I'll be right there. And I just stand up at work, and I say, I got to go. And I walk out the door. And, and my work, you know, they, they were great because I have this amazing job now. And um, so I go home, and... Uh, yeah, the police are there, and my kids had already gone somewhere, and my husband had gotten back, and they won't let me go into the house. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is my house. Get out of the way. <laughs> and they were like, no, ma'am, you can't go in. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going. And, uh, and they're like, we've got your husband inside, and, uh, and they're explaining to me what's going on. I was like, well, I just need to talk to him for a minute. And they were like, oh, we can't let that happen. And they won't let me go into the house. And they actually physically restrain me because um, they're not actually not going to let me into the house. And I can't imagine. And so um, then they end up putting two guys on me because, again, my mouth is going. And um, <laughs> they didn't pull out no shotguns, but <laughs> they got two guys on me now. <laughs> they're like... <laughs> They're like, ma'am, we really need to get back inside if you could just leave. And they're just begging me to leave. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. And uh, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And I'm asking so many questions. They get to the point, they're like, we'll be asking the questions here. Like, I'm just firing questions at them. <laughs> and they were answering for a while. <laughs> but it's all happening in my garage. Like, so it's this weird, surreal experience. I'm in my garage. And we're kind of maneuvering around the garage, and there's a car, and I'm maneuvering around the car, and they're maneuvering around the car, and there's just all this stuff going on. And then this car pulls up, and um, and it's a guy rushing inside, and I know he's a lawyer, and I'm like, I bet that's a lawyer. And they're like, you can't talk to him. And I'm like, oh, I talked to him. <laughs> so I go rushing over, and that's when they pull my purse, and they're actually pulling me back. And um, and I'm like, who are you? What are you doing? He's like, I'm a lawyer. And he was a bad lawyer. He's like, just tell them whatever they want. <laughs> Who hired that guy? <laughs> tell them whatever they want. So then they start asking me some like pertinent questions. And I know, I know I can bury this man. I know I could bury my husband. And I want to. I want to because I'm pissed, you know, about what's happening right now. And my kids are on Christmas vacation. I'm at work. The police are at my house with a search warrant, you know. And I, I, I'm in that moment. And thank God I've got five years of Al-Anon. Because another day I might have sent him away, you know. I might have helped that cause, you know. And I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't have the story. I just had what was in front of me. And, um, and I just knew I, I didn't have enough information. I wasn't going to give them any information. And... Um, so there's this whole scene going on, and and they're talking to me, and um, at one point, you know, they were begging me to leave, and then they were like, we're searching your car, we have a search warrant for your car, like, they started getting mean and angry, and um, and then I'm still just talking with them, and, uh, and UPS pulls up, UPS truck pulls up, and I never get anything, and we're still talking, and I'm standing there, and the UPS guy comes and delivers a package to me, and I sign for it, and the whole time, I'm like, well, I'm wondering why they aren't searching the package, you know. But so I'm just talking to them, and I'm opening the package. It's this whole weird thing, and um, and I open the package, 
and it's a it's a Christmas present to me from my sponsee and uh, at that moment like it was like God's hand reached down and touched me you know what are the chances that I'm going to be standing in that garage with police, you know, and this package is going to arrive. And no sponsee has ever sent me a package. I only had the one. <laughs> but I, and, I, and I'm talking to them, and I'm looking at the package, and I'm having this amazing ex- experience. And, um, and, and, and it's like these lotion products. I love lotion products. Like, it's, it's something I absolutely love. And I just knew, like, I was going to be okay. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't even have to worry about it. I knew I was going to be okay. And uh, so I left there, you know, finally, <laughs> and um, and took my package. And I bawled my eyes out, and I called my sponsor. And once again, she was there for me. And she talked to me, and, and she told me... Um, you know, you need to go tell everybody, tell the family everything. And I was like, I don't want to deliver that message. This is not my burden to bear. I don't want to be the bearer of that news to his family that's, you know, had to suffer enough and to my family where I don't want to be embarrassed. And I chose not to follow her direction that day because after five years, I'm still not all well. And um, so I choose not to follow her direction that day. And um, and then eventually, you know, after I spend a long time, it was happened to be pouring down rain too. So, you know, I'm bawling and the rain is pouring and it was just this whole thing. And, um, and then of course Christmas is four days later. Now they don't arrest him. They just take all our computers and stuff. And, um, and I don't tell anybody about it. And, and this is my shame. My shame is I should have followed her direction. Because what I thought, one more time, is that I could make him do what he needed to do. He needed to tell those people. He needed to tell everybody what happened. Because I didn't cause this. It's not my place to be the one that has to tell that kind of news to people. And, and he didn't. And he wouldn't. And I thought that he would, one more time. And I thought that he would because of the situation that he had created. And he didn't tell those people. He didn't tell anybody. And he still to this day hasn't told anybody. And, um... So let's hope we don't hear this tape. <laughs> but what what that did for me is, um, you know, I knew I knew at that moment that I had the time and the right and everything to tell everybody, but I didn't take it and I tried to force him to do it. But we had to go to Christmas four days later and see every member of our family. And one more time, my kids had to pretend like everything was okay. One more time, I put that burden on them, you know, because now nobody knew. And I wasn't going to say anything, and he wasn't going to say anything, and they didn't get to say anything. And they didn't get to feel love, or they didn't get to have somebody try to help them or explain to them. You know, and I, I regret that, of course. But, you know, I also know that I can just do the best that I can do. You know, I just do the best I can. And... Um, and as long as I just keep following the path and do what's in front of me and do what I think is right, that things are good. But, you know, the lesson there is also just do what your sponsor says. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've had the experience enough times to know that that's just what I should do, whether or not I think it's right or whether or not I agree with it. I need to just follow through and do what she says. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully that was a good lesson for me there, and I'll follow that in the future. Um, uh, I, uh, what time is this supposed to end? All right. So, um, what I can say about what's happened to me is I came to this program. I was, you know, depressed, alone. I, when they say the words unwanted, unloved, and alone, that's how I felt. And today, I have a full life, like overflowing life, because I have come to the program. I show up at my meetings every week. It's not negotiable. It's not um, an option. You know, there things will be happening at my house, and I'm like, I got to go to the meeting. You know, it, it's this is my priority. I had to make this a priority for myself. I have to follow the direction. I have to work the steps. 
I, I read every day. Every morning I wake up, I read two little books. I read the one day at a time, and I read The Courage to Change. And I was telling Leanne, you know, I was nervous about coming here, and um, what I do all year long is I flag the pages that speak to me. And then when I'm in trouble or in pain, I go back and I read those pages. And so the other day, you know, I woke up and my stomach's sick and I'm nervous about coming here. And I just read through all those pages that I had flagged and I felt better. You know, and I just did it in one book, not both, you know. And, um, and at the end of the year, I'll unflag them and I'll, next year will be a new year and they'll have new experiences with that book. And then this morning I woke up and I was nervous and um, we have a gratitude list that I get the privilege of being on. And um, there's it's getting bigger and bigger and what people do is every day they go on and they type out what they're grateful for and I can access it because I have a Blackberry phone and so I can access it anywhere I'm at and I look at that list and it often calms me down and it shows me what to look for you know I look for things to be grateful for not for things to be unhappy about and um, and so this morning I got up and I read the list and I wrote a list of my own and it, it just put me on a whole other direction, you know. I was no longer afraid. I was no longer, you know, totally worried about what am I going to say, what am I going to do. And um, I just, you know, got to get up and breathe, just, you know, take the next step and do what I'm supposed to do. And um, I... Uh, I think I'm going to have to end it there because I'm really struggling here. But um, <laughs> I have such love and you know passion for this program. I, I would not be alive if I didn't start this. And I would not be alive if I didn't you know have to suffer the credit card shame. And I would not be alive if I didn't learn to detach on that painful vacation and I would not be alive if I didn't trust that there was a power greater than myself guiding me every step of the way and um, you know my life wouldn't be what it is today I now have a full-time job that I show up to every day which was also you know something that somebody had to teach me they'd be like well I don't feel like it and they're not treating me nice and she'd be like go to work anyhow <laughs> and show up on time and be of love and service. But then I, I loved somebody too much to say, well, not that way. <laughs> not that way. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> I think that I'm just like you. You know, I just want to be loved, and I want to enjoy my life, and I want to have fun, and I want to... Um, I just want to, you know, experience good things. And I've experienced a lot of um, tough things. And um, I, you know, I'm on the other side, I feel like, you know. Things are sometimes tough, but I know I can get through them. I have the power of this program and all of you. And I have the power of another program and all of them. And I have the power of, you know, unity. And, um, and I have a higher power that I know is constantly looking over me. That sends me gifts when I'm in the middle of the police interrogation. <laughs> Even if I am the one doing the interrogating, but um, <laughs> there's just no way I could ever have written the story to be this good. There's no way I could ever have imagined, you know, what it is today. I got, um, you know, I, I'm working now, and I'm able to show up at work, and I'm able to do a good job, and I'm able to be of service to others and I got this huge raise you know in the middle of this economic downturn people are losing their jobs I just got $12,000 a year raise you know and and it's not me that's what I know it's not me I didn't do it I didn't cause it I didn't create it it's because I have a higher power and it's because you guys show me how to live how to be a human being among human beings and um, that that was one thing I did want to share is that you know I've heard a saying around Al-Anon is you just get to be one among many. You get to learn to be one among many. I'm not special. I'm not perfect. I'm just one. I'm just one of you. One among many. And, um, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it has been a challenge for me to be one among many. And, but most time now, I'm comfortable around most people. 
But when I got to do this Bill Clinton thing, I got to go um, with my sister-in-law to um, go to this private home in Beverly Hills and um, meet Bill Clinton. And I was so very excited about it. And uh, But like the day before, two days before, I was like all of a sudden not good enough. You know, all of a sudden I was like, oh no, I'm going with her rich friends. I'm not rich. I'm going to this home in Beverly Hills and who knows who's going to be there. And um, and I started to get the fear and I was like, I better just stay home and take care of her kids. You know, I wanted to back out of that. Even though it was one of the, like, the most exciting thing that's happened to me forever. And <laughs> I still was afraid. And um, But I just kept doing what I needed to do. You know, I went and I got something that I thought was nice enough to wear. And I went and I, I had to drive my daughter's car because my car's broken down to go meet these people and hop in their Escalade. And I don't really know them. And, um, and I did it anyhow. And I got to try to be one among many when the many were very wealthy people, when the many was an ex-president, when the many was um, Barry Goldie, some music mogul, when the many was Chevy Chase, when the many was some influential people. You know, I get to still just be, go, and be one among many, and be good enough. You know, because I am good enough, because God made me who I am today, and I am exactly who I'm supposed to be. And that's whether I'm with you, or whether I'm on Skid Row, or whether I'm at a house in Beverly Hills. And um, and they're just like us anyhow, because there was a bathroom that the lock apparently was broken. <laughs> and I walked in on someone. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was just washing his hands. And so <laughs> so it was no big deal. But then, of course, I, I didn't know the lock was broken. And uh, I made sure I locked it when I went in there. And, um, and I'm standing fixing my skirt and uh, someone walks in on me and it was this older man and I was oh excuse me and then he leaves and he's so mortified embarrassed he like scurries away which is not the reaction I would have expected but I'm like I would have done that <laughs> you know so we're all just the same no matter who we are where we've been or what we've done you know and um, the miracle is that this program exists and that we have people that are willing to keep coming back and keep sharing and keep showing others how they've done it, you know, and that's all I've done today. I just showed you a little piece, pieces of my life, what's happened to me, where I've been, and where this program has taken me. And I am so looking forward to where, where else I'm going to go. You know, I used to dread living, and now I can't wait to see what, what's going to happen next, you know. I don't know. I can't imagine what's going to happen next, but I know it's going to be good. So thank you so much for having me and have a wonderful conference.